Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbing Show. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week we have with us another amazing duo. We have with us both Jess and Joe, who are the co-founders of Luna, a teen well-being um, and health app. And the interesting thing about them both is they have a non-clinical background and have embarked on this journey. It's an absolute pleasure to have you both on the show. How are you? Good. Yeah, super busy. Um, yeah, lots going on. But yeah, really, really great to be on the show. So cool to talk. So what was cool and what kind of put you on our radar was you guys were recently featured on the App Store and it looked cool. And, and the stuff you're helping with teenagers, young people was quite interesting. And it made me realize that the importance of it, especially with a young sister who's like 12, 13 years old. And it's perfect for someone of her age bracket. Um, but we want to kind of take it back to your own personal story. I know the app came a bit later. You guys met on the MBA program, but let's start with Jess. Tell us a bit more about kind of your career, university, what you studied, and then we'll go to Joe. Totally. Um, so I'm from South London originally. I'm half Armenian, half Maltese, which meant there was a lot of pressure to go and do something quite traditional at uni. So I um, went and studied law at Warwick. Um, but quickly realized that actually um, I'd probably make a terrible, terrible lawyer. Um, I quickly pivoted and ended up in consulting. So I started my grad scheme at Deloitte and um, I actually started in the human capital team. So all things sort of people, mainly working in financial services. I suddenly realized that actually like innovation and digital stuff is like what I love. So I made a quick pivot over to strategy and operations. Um, and then realize that actually, like, I don't think my heart and soul is into consulting, like the impact I have here is like pretty limited. And I think I'm meant for like bigger things, but I don't quite know what that is. So um, decided to go and do the MBA to take some time to like figure out what that was. Um, I always knew there was something entrepreneurial inside of me, but where in the ecosystem that was going to play, like not sure. So I was like, yeah, MBA, that's me but it costs like a shed load of money, which I don't have. Um, so I ended up leaving Deloitte, freelancing for about 18 months to get the cash together, um, to then go on to Oxford to do my MBA, which is where I met, um, which is where I met Joe and yeah, where the idea for Luda came from. Oh, nice. There was a, there's a point in my life when I was watching Suits and I wanted to become a lawyer as well. <laughs> um, but I soon realized, you know, it's, it's definitely not for me. Tell us a bit more about your background, Joe, kind of up until you also decided to do the MBA and what was your motivation to come into the programme? Yeah, well, I never had any designs to be a lawyer at all. So that was not <laughs> in my story. Um, I went to Exeter, my undergraduate, and did business management, um, kind of not really knowing what I wanted to do. It seemed to be a good sort of catch-all course, um, covered quite a lot of different aspects of business and similar to Jazz ended up in consulting because I didn't really fancy banking, didn't really know what other routes there might be. So um, went into consulting also at Deloitte, um, but I actually ended up in the finance team. So um, I trained for three years as a um, chartered management accountant whilst doing consulting. Um, and it was mainly for sort of public sector clients. Um, so um, lots of Ministry of Defence work and things like that, which was interesting, but I knew it wasn't my uh, lifelong calling, should I say. <laughs> um, and living out of a hotel in Derby for 18 oh, wow. months was um, probably what kind of tipped me over the edge to think, no, I'm paying for a flat in London. I need to live there. <laughs> um, so I actually uh, left Deloitte and I went to work for um, Johnny Bowden, who's an entrepreneur, um, owns the um, fashion retailer Bowden and um, had a strategy role there, which was super interesting and kind of gave me working alongside Johnny, the sort of view to think, oh, actually, I do want to do something a bit more entrepreneurial. Um, and that's what led me to um, to the MBA, really. And same as Jazz kind of thinking, didn't know what it was going to be, would have you know, love to come out with a business idea at the end of it. Yeah. Never actually thought I was going to. It was one of those, oh, that'd be <laughs> great. That's what I said in my, like, um, interviews to get in. I was like, yeah, I'm going to come out with a great business idea. and being like, I don't know what it would be. But, <laughs> um, and yeah, the sort of rest is history. We did come out with a great idea. And here we are sort of, what is it, 18 months later after graduation? Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm still trying to get over the fact you, you spent 18 months in a hotel, like, yeah, I don't know it was how a Holiday you did Inn. It. I like oh no shade God. on Holiday yeah. Inn, but 
it's, yeah, it, it takes a toll. It was tough. It was tough. Before we kind of move on, I think what will be interesting for a lot of our listeners is there's all, especially amongst clinicians, is as you can imagine, health tech is on the rise, digital innovation, digital health, and a lot of them are looking at MBA programs. They are super expensive. Having gone through the program, and I know you, you, you ended up doing super well, what advice would you give to people that are maybe on the fence in terms of should they do it, should they not? How is experience on the program? Yeah, I mean, it's a really personal decision and it's a really um, big investment, both in terms of like money, but also time. And if mm-hmm. you have a family or like a partner or whatever, that's also a big investment from their point of view as well. Um, so I think look, it's really like not for everyone, but I know in the UK, it's definitely like not a path that's um, taken that frequently. And so when I left Deloitte, people were really saying to me, like, do you really want to do this? Like you could become a manager and then a senior manager and like, you know, your career path's still going to go up without an MBA. Um, Whereas like, you know, you go to America and actually like you have to have an MBA to get um, up the ladder. So I think it really depends on personal situation. I think... It's an amazing experience. You meet so many incredible people. Your network is open. And I think, I truly believe that, um, you know, if things didn't work out with Luna, which I really hope they do, um, that like any career is like now on the table because there's someone who either knows someone who works there or works there themselves and a quick message to say, hey, I went to this business school. Like, can we just have a chat? Like, yeah think that it opens so many doors um so i just think it depends on like what people's end goals are and if people know that a clear and that their role in like medicine or or whatever it is is what they want to do long term then i'd probably say like an mba isn't the right path but if it's actually i want to pivot or actually i'm not sure or i just want to have a backup then i would say it's definitely worth considering um i don't know what do you think joe oh 100 agree um definitely it was the best decision um, I would say I've made possibly <laughs> ever. Um, yeah. And yeah, I really, I mean, I really enjoy the time and it, you know, it is still a degree from Oxford University. So our MBA was tough and it was a lot of work, but also as well, like there was a lot of, you know, fun time meeting new people, like Jazz said, expanding yeah. a network. And if you're interested in going to something entrepreneurial, I think that network is, is everything. Um, I think we, both found it really did help us when we first went to do our first um, fundraise last year. Um, just like, as Jazz said, we knew people who were in the ecosystem already and could either introduce us to people or just check over slides or just help us some way, mm. which I, I mean, I had never even heard of venture capital apart from Dragon's Den before yeah. <laughs> going to the, do the MBA. I never even heard of like VC firms and things like that all, you know, you literally just think it's Dragon's Den and like, that's it. But yeah, um, yeah there's a whole like ecosystem out there, which was, yeah, opened up to me. So um, yeah, and I, I love the love the year that we had there. No, and I think a lot of people that have done the MBA programs, one of the things that come out was the incredible people they've met, the network. Talking about incredible people, Joe, what was your first impressions of Jess? So I imagine this is the first time you meet her. Tell, tell us what your, your thoughts were. You know, we're going to take it all the way back. Tell us. My first impression was actually over email. And I thought Jazz worked at the business school because <laughs> she sent this email out because like being super organized as she is, like trying to organize yeah. everyone, like because we did um, our MBA in sort of COVID time. So it was September 2020. Okay. Um, and we had the opportunity to defer, um, and a lot of people did, but obviously also a lot of people didn't. Um, and the ones that didn't obviously were then set on, like, we need to try and make this the best year, whatever we can do. Like at the time it was like, you could meet in groups of six. Mm. And I remember Jazz emailing and I don't know whether she emailed everyone or I was just in a group and I was like, oh my gosh, this woman is so like on it. Like I thought she was a member of staff. <laughs> she was like that on it. And I was like. And then obviously met her in real life and I was like, well, that's true. She definitely is. So, um, so no, that was my first impression. It was over email. I was like, oh my God, am I like in trouble already with the staff? Have I done something wrong? <laughs> oh, wow. So and then back to you, Jess, what was your, your impression of Joe when you first met or had that contact? Yeah, I guess the first contact was, um, 
basically everyone does an MBA is like a massive keynote. And anyway, before the program had even started, everyone was added to this telegram group. So there was already like, you know, the minute you sort of accepted, you get added to this group, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, suddenly one day, like this um, link to donate came in because Joe was cycling <laughs> to Vienna on her own. Oh, and wow. I think, like, number one, who is this mad person like doing this <laughs> on their own? Also, number two, like kudos for you to you for being so bold to putting this to a group of people who you've like never met before. Like, like that takes serious cuts to do that because yeah, I don't know, like first impressions are everything, right? And I just thought, yeah, go you. And I know you raised like, yeah, people did donate and it meant like people then had something to say to you. Like when they saw you, like, oh, were you the girl that cycled on your own to Vienna? <laughs> so um, yeah, I think it was like boldness and like courage and just like a really like, hell yeah, kind of attitude. So, so yeah, that was oh, like wow. my first question Yeah, and then, I, then we met again through like one of the social things that we sort of, that we organized because because it was this COVID year, everything was sort of left to us and we had to sit in tables of six. So you just kind of go and park up and sit next to someone. And like, yeah, Joe was like, oh, I'm Joe. And I was like, oh, like, you know, I've actually stalked you. We have really parallel, like, <laughs> like you worked at Deloitte. We both did internships at Barclays. Like, I know that's like super weird, but like, yeah. are we like long lost sisters? Like something, <laughs> yeah. No. Um, yeah, good energy from the jump, I think. No, definitely. And I can definitely see some of the traits that are super needed to become successful as entrepreneurs, as co-founders, um, and we'll come to that. Tell us a bit more about the, the founding of Luna. I imagine it was a, a group project of some sort. Or how does that work? And I guess that's where the, the, the pivot happens, where the story really begins for you both. Um, so tell us a bit more about that. Um, so I guess going back to like the MBA, one yeah. thing you have to do throughout it is basically group work. So you are put in groups, which is all meant to be about like learning about different styles of working and like, yeah, you really do learn how to work with basically every type of person under the sun. So for every, <laughs> um, every class you're put in groups to complete projects, but for one project called entrepreneurial project, you could pick your own teams, which when you're in the okay. thick of an MBA, that is like gold dust. You're like, yes, I am not the person that doesn't want to do any work and I'm not going to be the person that does everything. I get to pick my people. Um, and so Joe and I were like, yeah, let's form a team. Um, let's form a team of like five badass women and we'll come up with an idea. Whereas like lots of our other um, classmates were sort of going idea first and finding people mm. who were like interested in sort of similar stuff to them. So we went team first, um, we found like three other amazing women um, from like different backgrounds and from different places. So we had one girl from North America, one from um, South America and like one from Asia and then us. And yeah, one night we got together and we were just sort of discussing, um, you know, what kind of ideas we could pitch for this entrepreneurial project, which was all about coming up with a concept, creating the, the deck, creating the model and then pitching it live to investors. And um, yeah, just, that evening, we all started talking about some of the female health issues we were experiencing, um, respectively, in our sort of late twenties and thirties. And I guess, regardless of where we were from in the world, the conversation kept coming back to, well, you know, if somebody had told me about this, like I could have done something about it, or I wouldn't have mm. had to suffer silence, or I could have raised the red flag earlier. And so this was back in like twenty twenty one now, where femtech had just been labeled like femtech. Um, it was starting to become a thing. We'd seen like pockets of activity in like the menopause space, the fertility space, um, the menstruation space. But a quick Google and like search of the market showed like that nobody was really looking after like adolescents, which is ultimately yeah. like when your body starts to change and um, really like where you should be taught like most of these things are at least given a baseline level. So that if you do start to see some symptoms, you can, um, Go and get help about it right um and so that's really where the idea for luna came from so essentially we pitched this idea of like a digital health companion um primarily for teenage girls and non-binary people aged 11 to 17 a space where they can access content um in a way that they are used to so super super short articles and videos all created by medical experts um whether that's like gp psychologists dermatologists 
a place they could ask anonymous questions without being embarrassed and get a medically backed response, a place they could start like tracking their emotions and their periods, and then a place they could actually shop through Luna. So partnering with like the right products and brands um, that like are suitable for teens. So yeah, in short, we pitched this idea, we built the whole plan for it. Um, and at the end, the people on the panel turned around and said, this is a really good idea. And the people on the panel were actually like legit investors, two mm. of whom are investors in Luna today. And, and they turned around and said, it's such a good idea. Like who's taking this on after, after the MBA? And to be honest, like our response to that question was like, yeah, don't be silly. Like no one, this is just a module. We're really high achievers. Yeah. We're just working for this because we wanted to get like top grades. But then actually on reflection um, and afterwards, a Joe came to me and was like, oh, I've been like thinking like maybe there is like something in this and maybe we'd be really silly like not to do it. Do you want to go and run some more tests and speak yeah. to some, speak to some users? Because we weren't allowed to do that as part of the project. Like just actually see, is there really nothing out there for them? And yeah, that was the case. There really wasn't. And yeah, that was really like the start of the journey. And um, the other three team main members went on to take um, careers in like scale-ups, a tech company, and another startup. But um, yeah, they've all been sort of encouraging on the sidelines and will come to events and help like promote and spread the word. But yeah, since October 2021, it's just been Joe and I. Um, oh, wow. Forward. That, that's incredible. What was the plan before this project post MBA? Was it to do something similar to your colleagues, go work at another startup, go back into kind of an exec management position? What was the plan? Oh, well, for yes. me, it was venture capital. I thought I was okay. going to go into PC, didn't I, Joe? And I did my internship yeah. and I was not sure it's for me. <laughs> okay. You were, no, Joe, you were like, had a different plan, didn't you? Yeah, I was going to go back to the sort of corporate world, but not consulting. And I wanted to go and work. Um, I actually wanted to go and work at Peloton. Um, oh, wow. So I was, yeah, angling for a job there and kind of in the process of applying and things like that. But then I remember having the talk with the careers advisor at Oxford. He was super helpful. And I remember saying to him, like, I've decided. And he was like, oh, great. Like, you've, you've got a job. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go and do Luna. And he was just like, oh, wow. Yay. good luck with that but to be fair he's been so so helpful since like in just helping like we've had MBA students now last year um come and do internships with us over the summer oh, wow. and we will do the same this year as well so um so no they've been super helpful definitely one question we had and we get it all the time is you've got a very strong corporate background you know stability post MBA you would have been able to walk to any job in any firm why would you give up that stability, that fixed income, something you're familiar with and go down this entrepreneurial route? For me, it's the the risk taking. I think I've always been a bit of a risk taker. I mean, like Jazz, I said, I, I cycled to Vienna um, from yeah. Yorkshire on my own, which is a bit of a risky thing to do, I'm not going to lie. Um, and I just think like we had such conviction in the idea that it really felt like this was the right time and I say I've been a, a risk taker but to the point where like I wouldn't have done it unless I really had conviction and mm -hmm. ever since sort of leaving you know Exeter which was 10 years ago I've always wanted to do something entrepreneurial but never had that okay. idea and it felt like oh this is the idea now we have yeah. to try it and like you say of course like it is when you compare it to a classic MBA job, it is completely the other end of the scale in terms of there is no job stability. There is no salary. We didn't take a salary for the first 10 months. I think it was until we did our first fundraise. Mm. Um, yeah, we like worked out of a hotel lobby to get their free Wi-Fi wow. um, <laughs> because, you know, we were just, which is literally the opposite end of our friends who were all going into management positions on 100k plus and you know corporate health insurance and blah blah, blah all the rest kind yeah. of thing um and i just i just think it's not possible to kind of have both of those lives at the same time as in when you're starting something so new as a startup of course no one's going to pay you 100 grand to do it and no one's gonna you know give you health insurance and, and all the rest but you know for us seeing 
how we've grown and obviously now we can take a small salary it's still very very small but it's something yeah. and yeah. it's the it's growing all the time and you know we had the vision and we sort of knew that it would work and we knew it would go this way but we just had to kind of grind out that first few months first year of actually getting it to the point where other people yeah. could then see it and believe it and be like oh yeah actually there is something here like you know when we've left oxford we just had the idea and yeah a hotel lobby <laughs> yeah. tell us a bit more about the first few days of luna when it becomes official when you are a company how were those first few days you know did you have to bring on people what were the first steps in kind of building it out i'm not too sure if you have like a tech background but nope. it's always interesting to you know we see it now and you're featured on the app store and i know it's probably very different like you mentioned the hotel tell us about the first few weeks of being this newly found entrepreneurs your mates are you know living up client meetings free gym you know <laughs> helping show us that you guys are crafting work. tell us about that period yeah i think like the first thing they well, the like, first thing to say about business school is like they don't actually teach you about how to start a business. Like, li- like really, <laughs> you need to incorporate. You need to find like um, a domain name and like handles. Like, what about like accountants? And we were just like, yeah, we've just done like a whole amazing course on like how to get someone through like a merger and acquisition, but we don't even know like the base. Like, what do we do? And so I actually like, I-, I swear down, we sat in this lobby and we were like, okay, so we have this idea, like. But what, like, what do we actually do? And I, I remember like, sitting there in like whatever the lobby was. It had like really bad like carpets, and we were just like, what, like, what do we do? Um, what is the next step? Um, unfortunately, like one of our MBA friends who like had done this before and like exited was like, just go and talk to people. Like, go mm-hmm. and get out there, go and talk to teenagers, and just like listen to them, and ideas will come. And like, yeah, and so. We decided to do like exactly that and we just reached out to like anybody we knew at like schools so whether that was like yeah i think joe's sister's a teacher like friends cousins whoever like cousins of cousins and we just went and we spoke to teens and they were like giving us more ideas and like telling us oh that's really bad like do this don't do that and it got us to a point where we actually started to have a vision then of like what the app could look like and um you asked if we have technical backgrounds we don't we have design backgrounds we don't um we are execution people we are consultants <laughs> so we just get stuff done and anyway we ended up we had all these insights and we basically like mocked up something on powerpoint first of all of like what these screens could like look like and we take it back to another school and then they'd say oh i don't like that that palette looks really mm. bad um and we did this for about three months um we were really lucky we won a grant which like helped cover like some of the costs again we weren't taking a salary but like it was paying for like train tickets and running like very small experiments and then in january um we basically got to a point where um we were like okay we think we know what it looks like should we just pay for like a designer to like bring it together and we can pay for like um we can try and like raise money and like bring a technical person to like bring it on board. So we started having calls with like software engineers and companies and yeah, basically like with our 20K grant, we were not going to go anywhere um, with that. <laughs> we, we were like, okay, well, let's go out and fundraise. Um, and then we were like, okay, actually like, have we got enough to go and fundraise? Like, yeah, we got a great idea. Yes, teenagers said they like it. Um, but maybe we need to go like one step further before going and putting our like yeah our um, name out there are raising and so actually like we decided to create the very first version of the app ourselves um using a no code tool um so joe over christmas like learned how to use one of these no code tools um and basically started to build the very bare bones of like the app and brought these like crappy powerpoint designs (laughs) to life and then on the flip um we also then needed like medical content you know contributors and i emailed like universities like societies like anyone anyone that would help because like i we didn't know that many like medical people between yeah. and like obviously nobody heard of us and nobody was like nobody was responding um so Joe was like plugging away and i was like great we're gonna have a shell of something we've got no content <laughs> in it um but then somebody from our grant program was a doctor and put a tweet out for us and then the ball started moving. Yeah. We then got like um, lots of like medical students and junior doctors saying, like, "I'm so aligned with your mission. Like, I'm happy to be on board to like 
you know, with your pilot, which is what we were trying to do. And then we got about like 10 or 12 volunteers on board. We hired a studio for the day. We filmed some content and we just ran a very um, short program for six weeks of this pilot, of this very terrible first version of the app. Joe, it looked great at the time. Um, it did what it needed to do. The trick it, is out. Yeah, like, honestly, it, like, when you compare it to what it looks like now, it oh, yeah. wasn't. It wasn't great. But no, you know, it wasn't doing, good. They used it. They used it. Like, so anyway, um, yeah. And then we were able to raise. So up until that point, so up until like March, everything was just us on a shoestring budget. Hmm. We then raised March to May, our pre-seed. And then we were able to hire people. And then we were able to get a small office space and um, we were nice. able to hire technical people designers so it was a hustle like the first um six months like i mean I'm, we're still hustling we just have more people yeah. to hustle with and to cry to because <laughs> yeah. at, at the start it was just joe and i um so yeah i wanted to give you quite a detailed view because lots no, of people that was good like how do you do it did you just pay for someone offshore did you pay an agency and give them equity yeah. like oh no we did it ourselves it looked terrible but it gave us the metrics and the convinc conviction to then go out and be like they are using this rubbish version so give us cash to make it better yeah um, so yeah that's really it no thank you for sharing that and i love the the nitty-gritty because people hear idea and then fundraise and then this is an amazing product and forget about the hustle and the graft in between mm -hmm. talking about fundraise i think that's another barrier another hurdle i think you raised just over half a million tell us a bit more about that process any advice for other budding founders or entrepreneurs that are looking to fundraise, what went well for you guys? What have you learned off the back of it? It's a great question because we're about to go again. So um, <laughs> it's very, very topical for us um, right now. But the pre-seed fundraise definitely was hard. And I think I'm, I'm not sure I've ever spoken to a founder who doesn't say it's hard um, because, you know, you, especially if you've not got access to networks or, yeah. you know, there's sort of generations of family wealth that you can call on, um, anything like that. So um, it really just was for us. We started by um, going to like competitions and pitching competitions. So um, that kicked us off really at the end of February last year. And um, we mm. went to we went back to Oxford. Actually, they do an entrepreneurship forum, um, like a day event. And part of it, there is a, a pitching competition. So we pitched at that and, you know, we won, but also even better than that. Oh, basically, wow. there were people in the audience who were angel investors or from VCs. And so it kind of helped to get the word out there. Um, and to be honest, it was just a case of, you know, tapping up our friends who, like we said, had sort of been in VC before, who could put a good word in for us and kind of start circulating our deck. But a lot of it was just emailing, cold call emailing, stalking LinkedIn, um, we'd even like stalk people on companies' house. So on companies' house, you yeah. can see who was invested in other startups. Um, yeah. So you kind of have to go through all, like make a list of startups, then go through companies' house through all of them to see who's on their cap table and then email them because you think, well, if they're an investor in them, they might be yeah. interested in us. Um, <laughs> That's a good idea, is, actually. <laughs> it's yeah, really slow, though, awesome. obviously. <laughs> yeah just went outside the houses like hello <laughs> yeah of course yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so so yeah it's just a lot of um you know cold emailing and getting your name out there but i think i suppose one piece of advice is like um especially when you're so new and early and you perhaps not got any kind of press or any kind of coverage is actually going out to your networks first so hmm. um you know, we went back to old bosses and we have a few of our old bosses from Deloitte who have invested in, in the round. Um, and yes. that kind of helps to get the ball rolling. So if you go out to um, sort of professional angels, should we say, who it's a full time job to do investing. If you haven't, if you were starting off from zero, it's often that they're a bit more like, oh, not not really sure. Like, yeah. come back to me when you've got other people and then, you know, the that kind of gets the ball rolling, yeah. but it's very hard in the first place to get the ball rolling. Um, so we kind of used our network to try and generate a bit of cash, a bit of interest to then be able to go back to more angel investors and, and even some of the VCs. Like the thing is with the VC and entrepreneurial network is it's very small. And once yeah. people know that you're raising and you're on that path, 
your name is kind of out there and they talk, they all talk to each other and they all share yeah. like, oh, who have you seen this week? Who have you spoken to? Da, 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 da. And it's kind of like the cat's out the bag then and you'll probably get like people coming to you. Yeah. Um, requesting like, oh, can we chat? Da, 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 da. Um, and we probably spent probably too much time on chatting to funds who weren't really even aligned to our area. But we thought, because mm-hmm. we were so new to this, we were like, oh, we probably should take yeah. the call just in case. But actually, um, you know, definitely this time around, obviously we will, we know we have our hit list of um, yeah. funds, et cetera. And the ones that are just, they don't even invest in, let's say, you know, our area or this early stage. Um, it's obviously no point kind of having even the call yeah. and, and wasting the half an hour that you could be talking to someone who's more likely to invest. Um, but it's not an easy process. And I don't know... I'd, I mean, I'd love to meet someone who says it is, but I never have, and I don't think we ever will. Um, mm. And um, so they were sort of my my tips. Have you got any others, Jazz? Maybe just to like let people around you know what you're going through. I think for us, or for me, I didn't like go out for two months. I basically was just, I just didn't have the energy. I was like continuously anxious yeah. and I just wanted to get it done. And I was like, I've, you know, yeah. So um I just sort of said to everyone, I'm going into this fundraise tunnel and I'll be out in like whatever, two yeah. months. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I just think, yeah, having people like be aware, but then also be around to support you because it is like an emotional roller coaster and yeah. a very anxious. I've never felt that anxious before in my life. I'm lucky I'm generally not an anxious person, but you just you think a call's gone well and, you know, then you get a rejection email or like it yeah. could be the you think i remember coming off call being like gosh that person absolutely hated us like avoiding us like you're a consultant like why would you want to do Mm. this all that's like that's what yeah they're absolutely not going to invest and then like you know the conversation was completely different and they were interested and yeah so yeah i think for me above and beyond everything that joe said it's just like making sure you've got support around you and probably could have been a bit better of like about having like breaks and stuff like that. But I think in a me was like, just keep going, like get it done. The quicker you get it done, like the quicker it's over. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'll kind of take that learning into the next, the next. Definitely. One, <laughs> While you're on the topic as co-founders with a, with a growing company with existing investors, how do you both look after your own mental well-being? You know, you're doing such a great job for so many young people out there. <laughs> You know, who's looking after you two? Was the question. How do you kind of wind down? No, so true. Um, I think. Hopefully, you don't mind me saying this, Joe. But I think we're both like very lucky to be supported by great partners. Um, I think it's not easy being a partner of a mm. co-founder. Um, and yeah, I do remember sort of saying to Jez, like, "Are you sure you want to do this? Like, and kind of go on this journey with me?" Mm. But he was like girl I saw you study for the GMAT for the MBA like (laughs) I've seen it like we can do this I think yeah I think that is like massive someone to like help you cook food or to review documents or just I don't know we're so in the weeds like someone to like be up a level and be like okay like let's just zoom out this is like nothing why are you worrying and then Mm. the second thing for me is like I really do my best to try and get to like gym classes because that's what I really love doing and um, they are ridiculously expensive but I have like said that this is the thing that makes me happy and it's yeah. like the only 50 minutes I get in the day where like I'm so stressed about just getting through this class <laughs> that like <laughs> nothing can worry me I'm like I cannot like fall off this treadmill or whatever so I think those two things are really important for me I'm not saying I've got it 100% right I go through weeks where that completely goes out the window but I know Joe's also been there to say like Jazz, why don't you take a break? Like, and I'm you know I'm taking half a day off on Friday because I feel like the balance is not 100 percent there. And I think the mm. fact that Joe's really supportive of that as well, and the rest of the team are, is really important. So those are my three things. I'm sure there's loads of overlap for Joe. Yeah, so sorry, <laughs> but what do you think, Joe? Anything else to add? Um, I think for me, what's um. So obviously agree on the partner thing, um, definitely. Um, like it, it's very, very hard to kind of juggle, even like Jazz said, just like cooking or like doing returns. Like I had some trainers to return and I was just like, I'm never going to make it to the post office in time, like before the returns out. And he's just like, no worries, I'll take yeah. them. Like 
just stuff like that is just super helpful. Um, I'm really into running and cycling. So, you know, getting outside and, and just having an hour to do, to do that is kind of my sort of shut off um, time. Mm. But also I think what works well as well with Jazz and I is that we are, we, I think our body clocks are like literally the opposite end of the day. So <laughs> I can get up super early and start working early and, you know, feel fine, kind of feel great about it. But then into the evening, I'm like, I'm, I'm done. Like I'm literally a zombie. Like my eyes, I can't even like force them open. I'm like, oh, I was like, jazz can work like way late into the night and still churn out like really great stuff. I just, I mean, I could say I could do that, but it, but it wouldn't be great. Um, yeah. Whereas, yeah, I can, I can, I can quite easily get up, but you know, really, I mean, stupid o'clock in the morning and oh, wow. start working and then, and then just take a break. It's like, you know, seven, eight o'clock time to go and do a run or something. So I think like having that really helps as well. Cause then we sort of feel a bit more like we've got coverage all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, oh, wow. it's, it's, diff it's, di it's difficult to kind of get the balance. Cause you know, I don't, we've definitely, neither of us have had a full weekend probably since starting Luna. Um, you know, there is a lot of um, either early morning, late night working or, weekend working but I just also don't think it's that I just don't think it's possible to make a real success of something yeah you know doing it proper like a nine to five kind of when we're still so early and still so young um so we're making the sacrifice now for the the gains later on <laughs> yeah no definitely I'm team Jas. I hate waking up super early my best work is done late but did I hear you say you go for a run at seven o'clock in the morning or is it seven PM? I just want to make sure I got it right. Seven AM, yeah. Oh my god. That's <laughs> crazy. Like uh yeah. Not, um, <laughs> honestly, I just can't I I can't exercise in the evenings. Like, I'm just, just so tired by the time like <laughs> yeah, I'm much more love to get it, you know, get out in the morning, especially if it's like nice sunrise and stuff. You're just like yeah. it's great. Expect that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Same. <laughs> <laughs> the curves yeah. drinking my coffee like I've seen my eyes open and like my brain's functioning yeah right now. <laughs> yeah I think yeah I'm, I think both me and my co-founder are similar I'm more like a night owl and he's like an early bird he's done what needs to be done by the time I, I get up to the, <laughs> you know open the laptop um, but then it, and then it works the beauty of that is you, ha you have someone on the shop floor per se at all times one question before we move on and I don't want to sound like a, a, another investor is you are building this health and well-being app for, for young people who some people may think are slightly more vulnerable to someone who's adult that has kind of real life experience with your kind of non-clinical background. How does that fit? Have you had any sort of resistance? I know sometimes medics are a bit rigid when it comes to it, but what has been your experience entering the world of healthcare, health tech? with a non-clinical background? Yeah, I think um, first things first, we're not a diagnostic tool. So I think we're probably more an ed tech meets consumer platform, but with a focus on health. Mm. Um, so we're never here to diagnose someone, say you have X or Y, but what we can say is like, okay. you know, here are some red flags and actually like we can, we will encourage people to go and speak to their GP or their dermatologist or, you know, whatever. and. So I think that's like the first thing to say um, in terms of like vulnerability, like we take safeguarding like super, super seriously. I'm yeah. a school governor at my old school. So um, I've been through all the training. I see it firsthand in all the meetings. Um, it's a closed platform. Number one, they cannot talk to each other. Luna okay. triages everything that comes through in the sense of like any question that gets asked must be approved by us. And um, if there is like a severe mental health risk yeah. or they need to go to A&E, like we will point them to point them to the right places. But there is a big disclaimer saying, this is not a health line or crisis service. Like if you have a issue, you know, call 11 or 999. Um, got that sorted by the lawyers the minute we started. We have an advisor who's like the lead um, clinician for like safeguarding safeguarding mm -hmm. and adolescent health as one of our advisors so she helped us construct um our processes to make sure it's safe um and we always lean into her if we've got a question around look this question's coming is it a risk or is it not a risk or can we answer it and still be helpful um so we're leaning into here like you know 20 years plus of experience nice 
and then in terms of like medics yes you do meet like a really big um variety some who are bigger risk takers than others um and for some like a role at Luna is not for them probably a role in health tech isn't for them that's probably because they are yeah. risk less risky but even within our community there are like yeah there is a mix but we set the guidelines like we have set stock answers we have limits and we are always on there there to help navigate the questions and then Luna always approves everything that goes out to the user. So they are never talking mm -hmm. to each other. Everything goes through us. Um, and yeah, we, we interview everybody. We make sure they're, um, you know, have the same sort of mission and alignment to what we're doing. And so I think we've brought like the right blend of people who really love our mission, clearly have a risky angle to them because they're like working for yeah. a startup, but they're yeah. also really passionate about this and give up their time after working long shifts, whether it's in the hospital or in GP practice or mm. uni to come and talk to teens and help them and give them advice. So hopefully that answers your question. Um, a couple of different angles there that we're taking. No, definitely. And I can sense the theme of like kind of caring and looking after these, these, these individuals. The, the question I had next is you've, you know, this started off as an MBA project you've clearly found an amazing co-founder. You work amazing as a duo. How was it, you know, that feeling when you realized you were featured in the app store, obviously it's a testament to the hard work you've put in and you know, how much of an impact you're making. When did you find out like, you know, we're onto something, this is growing, we can help, you know, people. And I think more recently you want to help people across the world, right? Not just the UK. When do you think, Hey, do you know what? We're, we're going to make it. We're onto something. Things are starting to go our way. I think, um, for me, it's as soon as we launched the app, one of the things that we included um, in the app itself was a feedback box um, that okay. we now we've got linked to a Slack channel. So whenever anyone um, leaves us a piece of feedback, it comes kind of straight straight to us as like an instant message. Um, mm -hmm. And we were a bit like, we'll put it in there. We'll see if anyone actually uses it. We're not really sure if they will. Um, and constantly literally tens 20 you know plus times a day we will have oh, wow. feedback coming in from our users saying this app is amazing thank you so much i love this app so much i've just downloaded it but i can't wait to like explore more this is so good like honestly like we get 99.9 percent amazing feedback through there and also we get so many great new ideas that we mm. hadn't thought of that you just think gosh yeah that's such a good idea we should do that we should add that in and you know what we actually launched in november last year on the app stores has evolved so much even you know in the four months that it's been five months that it's been to today um you know based on on their feedback as well that comes through that box so i think for me it was you know We've always believed in the idea and just speaking to the teens in the schools yeah. kind of cemented that idea because we had so much, so many people, is the app available now? Can I have it now? This sounds really good. <laughs> this sounds really helpful. But then actually when it comes through this feedback box and obviously the first few users, we knew who they were because we went to their yeah. schools and they signed themselves up to be an early tester. We now have 10,000 downloads. So we don't know oh, everyone wow. on the platform. We have no <laughs> idea you know, who, who they are or where they've come from, but consistently this feedback still keeps coming in. And I think just seeing that every day that this thing's like, this app has changed my life. Like that's on our app store review. Someone has left it for us. And it's like, yeah, that's the kind of feedback that you think, wow, okay, we are, we are onto something. We're doing something good and, and it's working. Like it is, it's helping people. So, um, which was the aim all along. One thing that hit me, and it feels like for the first time ever, I would say in a way, people are looking forward to that journey to adulthood, that journey of going through puberty, learning about the body, understanding themselves. And I think you just described it earlier in the beginning where it's like a companion app, someone that you can trust, someone that's there for you on a day-to-day -day basis. And maybe for this new generation, which I like to call like a digital generation, it is a digital companion. Whereas back in the days, it would have been someone that is a bit more clued up doing it. So I can definitely see why people are responding so well to it. From a business point of view, from a startup point of view, why is it so important 
to listen to users, to take their feedback on board and iterate on a product. I'm saying that because there are entrepreneurs out there that think they know best. They think they're the next Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, all of that goes out the window. But why, what have you found? Because I can tell it's been core for Luna from the beginning. Yeah, I guess um, first things first is Joe and I are millennials and not Gen Alpha, which is Z and Alpha. Um, and so I think for us, having users at like the heart of everything we do, whether that is like color palette or branding and logo and social media is so important because what we like is 100% what not what they like. Um, so like our first branding was like hot pink and purple. And we were like, yeah, they're going <laughs> to love it. And they were like, yo, like, what is this? Like, we want pastel. We want like... They're too cool for us. I'm telling yeah. you. <laughs> they literally like shut us down and they were like... No. Um, but now we get told like we're aesthetic and that it's... <laughs> we know we're on something. So I think, yeah, building something for them and not us because we aren't the users is really important. Not to say like we give them everything they want because sometimes they're asking for like ridiculous things and we're like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. And we also have to appease your teachers and your parents and your guardians. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of like design decisions and validation, like having them on board is like, is the most important thing we're building for them, not us. So yeah. Mm. You guys are doing an incredible job and to kind of tie it all towards the end, it's just some advice from you both of you in terms of other founders that do want to make a difference that do want to make a meaningful company you know what have you learned what would you say to them even the younger people that are listening because we have a lot of young female medics and clinicians professionals that look up to people like yourselves that do want to make a difference in the world what advice would you have for them i would say um find your problem that you're solving for don't don't go out there looking for like an idea find a problem that either you're suffering with or you can see other people mm. suffering with and that you can see that there is a solution for because you have to really want to solve the problem because you will be you know in engrossed in it for 24 hours a day seven days a week and if you're not really that passionate about it or that fired up about it or it doesn't get you angry or it doesn't you know want to make you do it then then you won't um because you'll just be like oh, can I be bothered today like whereas <laughs> if it's something that you are really passionate about then you know you will keep going even when the times get hard and people say to you oh that's a rubbish idea no one's going to use that like and we we had that throughout the investor process last year we had so many people say to us like I don't think teenage girls will use this. Why would they use this? Why would they need this? And you're sat there like, we know they will. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for every, you know, every time that someone says that, you can't just sit back and go, oh yeah, maybe they won't. Like maybe they're right. And because, you know, so you need to have, need to find a problem that really speaks yeah. to you and really, you can get really passionate about because it's a it's a long old journey and it's not just something that you're going to solve overnight um <laughs> and so yeah and i think you know medics and and um clinicians who are practicing i can imagine there are so many you know ideas that people will have that problems that they'll see every day whether that's just yeah. to do with certain conditions or ways that you know ways of working processes and things so um i'm sure people have got like loads of ideas that they could kind of run with but it's taking that one that you're super super passionate about and really just focusing on it I think um would be my sort of advice two things for me I always say this one but I'll just say it again um which is like don't please try not to do it alone like it's really hard to try and find someone to do it with and make sure that person you decide to um build a business with is like someone you genuinely like love and are happy to like talk to you day in day out be honest with in terms of how you're feeling um and yeah just make sure you're aligned in terms of vision and stuff because this is your work wife or work husband yeah. um and so i do think that is like really important and then the second thing is i do think like that i was personally very lucky to have like just finished the mba like i just had a year mm. off from work um, you know, I live in uh, I live in my grandma's house. Like I, I was privileged to be able to do this. Um, mm. It is like not everyone has that chance. Like not everyone can sacrifice no salary for like a bit or whatever. And I think, but there are ways that you can still get stuff off the ground. Like there, 
and I know it's difficult because clinicians and medics work a lot of hours, but those spare hours, I like, do go out there and test it and build stuff or, you know, there are organizations, um, like accelerators, which yeah. like you could explore whether that's taking a short career break and getting on one of them and seeing if an idea comes out of it, or there are pockets of grants and stuff like that. And so I would just like, there, there is some like money and support in the ecosystem for people who like aren't hundred percent committed, but like want to explore it and stuff. And so I would definitely like, highly encourage it. There's never going to be an easy time to just be like, right, I'm out, like I'm quitting, I'm doing yeah. this, like, and so I think like, yeah, you just got to test it. Like when you have time um, and if you feel you've got strong enough conviction, then you quit everything and then you go. Um, but there is always time or like, yeah, well, you have to try and like find some time, I guess. Um, but yeah, it is possible. And don't let like, yeah, the, you just got to hustle to like find the support and the funding, but it is out there. And um yeah, it's an amazing journey being an entrepreneur. So I really hope like, yeah, people can figure it out and stuff. And yeah, hopefully this has slightly inspired you if you're listening to do this. No, definitely. And I think the great advice from people that have been there, done it, doing it, hustling. Um, I want to thank you both for taking the time out. I know you're in the middle of a raise um, <laughs> and we wish you all the best. Both me and Amza are big supporters of what you're doing. Um, so yeah, thank you once again. You're doing incredible work in a, in, in a time where everyone's fighting for the attention of these these young people with you know TikTok and everything else. But it shows you're making a meaningful difference and you're having a genuine impact. Um, so wish you all the success, both Jess and Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you and we couldn't be doing this without like amazing medics on our team. So like shout yeah. out to them and to our community. Like write content, read content, yeah. ask questions. <laughs> like we are merely the business side of this. Like we could yeah. be doing so if you're listening, this one's for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jess. Shout out to all the medics. I'm gonna yeah. give myself a shout out here as well. <laughs> no. I'll, no, thank you. It's it's been good fun speaking to you. You two are super badass. Like I love the 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 role model and the example you're setting. Much needed in space, especially in health tech as well, which is a new growing field. Um it's just like all those clinicians kind of trying to dominate it all. But yeah, nice to see you guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>